Welcome to Turnbuckles. I'm John Reinman, and I cried in front of coworkers when I saw that Super Bowl ad about the baby horse. I'm Tommy Rico, and I cried at the opening night of Avengers Endgame in front of my wife and son, and then my wife reminded me that I didn't cry at our wedding. I'm Julie Harrison Harney, and I bawled on an airplane after a rewatch of Field of Dreams. Oh, well, emotions have been running high in the wrestling world, so let's get to the Raw Recap. Raw Recap. So I watched Raw, and Julie, did you get to watch some of Raw? I did. Yeah. Tom, did you get to watch some of last night's, uh, or I'm sorry, two nights ago's uh, Monday Night Raw? With liberal use of the fast forward button, yes. Um, in the spirit of, you know, just being cool, do we want to spend any time recapping this week's Monday Night Raw? I'm okay. Nope. All right, I'm good too. Uh, Monday Night Raw airs Mondays at 8 on USA, and Friday Night SmackDown airs Friday at 8 on Fox. Let's move on to other stuff. It's time for the wrestling roundup. So first of all, a uh, big thank you to Mr. Vince Russo, who really made last week's episode. Uh, and that was really cool that um, everyone kept it under wraps. So I thought that was great. Julie, thank you so much for surprising us with that. And uh, to our producer, Sean Bannon, who did a wonderful job. And uh, it felt like the fiend crashing <sighs> like. Wasn't it great? Like Bro, I popped. It was so good. I, I knew it was coming and I still was like, wait, we got Vince Russo. I was like, oh yeah, I was there for that. But um, I have to, <laughs> Julie, people on our, our TikTok, right? Is our yes. TikTok or there, <laughs> it led to, cause I guess, you know, just like with me, he said a line where he said, we have a lot in common and that we start a lot of trouble <laughs> or we're not just no matter. And it is true <laughs> because here's this fun thing involving the, I, I, I don't care what people say. I have a great fondness for Vince Russo. It's a big part of my child. I like all those guys. I really do. And I know they don't like each other. I like them all. So I'm sorry. I'm Switzerland in a very meaningless Switzerland. But nonetheless, um, and yet it started a fight in the comments on our, <laughs> on our tick. What were people saying about how did this turn into a bad? This is just what happened. Well, there's a debate. Is the term bro gender neutral uh, because someone said Julie is clearly a female name. And yet Vince Russo, you're using bro constantly in your video address. So what? And he still uses bro. And then someone got into a debate with that commenter and said, no, bro is a can be used for male, female. You get to be a bro. So this is now an argument thread on our TikTok. Video. It is, yes, correct. Oh my god! Well, I, it I is think it's similar, though. Yeah, well, I'm I think fine it's similar it. to the use of of like guy and guys. So my, on my two co-hosts, if I were to address John as guy, that makes sense. Julie, not as much. But if I address them both as guys, everybody knows that means two the two people I'm talking to. Perhaps. So I think bro is very much the same vernacular. But maybe Vince Russo spells it in his head differently when he says bro. Like maybe it's B-R-E-A-U. B-R-O-H. Or, yeah, or B-R-O-E, like doe, deer. So maybe it's just a different way of spelling it. So I want to be a bro. You know, let me be a bro. I'm in yeah. on the don't. I think I think. Russo is right. You don't need to explain it. Everyone's a bro. If you want to be a bro, you get to be a bro. Because That's let me tell you something. If everyone's a bro, that takes the that takes the broiness away from the ones that try to be bros. Exactly. 
exactly. I've been on the road all day. Has Vince chimed in? No. Has he chimed in on the thread? No. Shit. I don't think okay. he's on TikTok. So <laughs> I don't God. know if he knows how. He is now. We put him there. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Um, that's true. Set up an account, Vince. All right. Now moving on. Uh, the Bray Wyatt SmackDown return. Uh, Julie, what'd you think? I didn't watch it. I didn't watch SmackDown. What? I don't know. Wow. They they because you're just me- that deflated by. 923 I'm telling you I won't forget it 923 when you promised and you didn't deliver you just did the same old thing if you're telling me Uh, to tune in I'm not going to now I'll watch it watch it later you are a bro this is a dark (laughs) side of you Tom what'd you think of Bray's Smackdown return all right uh, I'm gonna throw the negative out there first because it has nothing to do with the segment but a certain internet wrestling news outlet reported that Bray's new mask is called Uncle Howdy and it would have been nice if maybe WWE told us that instead well, of them. But yeah, but they whatever. filed a they filed a pat- patent if I'm or a trademark for Uncle Howdy, if I'm not mistaken. So that no. see that's the other thing is that nowadays it's like a lot of people it's very hard because Julie, I was in meetings a couple times where Vince would just yell out. We've joked about it. They'd yell out trademark such and such, and uh, so I think that's why. But I. Yeah, to me, here's my thing. And you know what? This is where I turn. I didn't love it. Uh, I anticipated it. I was really looking forward to it. Sadie watched it with me because Sadie loves Bray Wyatt and uh, all the characters. And um, that's my five-year-old daughter. It's not my imaginary friend, any new listeners. Um, I really do have a five-year-old daughter. And sometimes she comes up with names. We'll do that again sometime soon. But... Uh, names for wrestlers in case they need them and going to a different promotion. But um, she likes Bray. She knew I got to stand in one time and play Mercy the Buzzard. So she, 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 you know, I have to correct her very quickly so I don't get any angry DMs from anybody on Twitter. But she says, that's your friend. I go, no, no, we only worked together twice. So she didn't go on Twitter and I get angry DMs from people. But he was a very nice guy. She knows I got to play Mercy the Buzzard. So she likes Bray Wyatt. And uh, she tuned out. She just stopped watching it. It was on my computer and she just walked, like, uh, went back to her iPad because she didn't like that he was getting sad. You know, she's five. And I think that says something. That Bray is... I mean, let's... Like Wu-Tang, is for the children. Let's, let's, let's be honest here. And it's like an under... It's a modern Undertaker character. And I kind of, you know, agree with some people's take that I didn't, I didn't like, I get it. I don't think it was the wrong thing to let Bray, AKA Wyndham Rotunda come out and be Wyndham Rotunda. It was great to see him get to have that emotional moment. Like CM Punk got to have, and you know how much it means to him. You know, he was there, but in terms of protecting and preserving the character, I just didn't think it fit. And like I said, I have a five-year-old who is the target who's one of the target demo for this guy to move merchandise. And she was, she walked away. She doesn't like seeing people sad, especially your heroes. And then on a creative standpoint, it was the weird, he gets cut off by a a Titantron video, apparently set up by himself. And that's when I was like, that's when I got, that was my 923. And I was like, wait a second. So you're in the ring, but also you is somehow in the production truck and made a video and you're taunt. And I love the idea of Bray, of the theory that the Wyatt six are all his personalities, but two things, one, that's the movie identity. 
And I like that movie a lot. I know I like that movie. I really do. I thought it had a, I, I'm one of those people that thinks it's Julie's laughing and I, I stand by it. Yes, I, did I just watch love it. that it's like the Wyndham Rotunda I know Return. It's, it's just I know the movie it's identity. Not, yes, I know it's a dumb guy movie, but that's how I was able to follow it. And yes, when I watched it with my ex, she figured it out four minutes in and it ruined the whole experience because like I'd already seen it. I was like, I built it up because it had Jod Cusack. I was like, wait, did you see this? Oh, it's going to be the best. She was like, oh, the blankety blanks, the guy. I was like, ugh. And I couldn't, and I sold it. I was just like, how'd you know that? Like, I just couldn't hide it. But they're basically doing the film identity. Okay, I'm fine with that. I like that Bray is fighting with himself and fighting with personalities. But now, but when you bring the, you know, audio visual component to it, I'm just like, how, what happened? Did he, his other personality set a timer to play the video knowing he would be, no, it doesn't make sense. It's what we talked Logic. about. The week, it's what we talked about last week that Vince, as he said, the personalities would not know of each other and each other's intentions they would have to follow clues about what they're going to do and i was like this felt like a rushed oh it's it'll work because it's spooky and it's bray and i was just like i don't know what the hell just happened the uncle howdy thing that tom brought up which sounds like a jimmy kimmel character and then the third thing was uh just like the logic like what he he, he programmed a movie to run i don't know i don't know right. it's like i i have an opinion okay and so first of all uh i of the three of us clearly liked it the most uh i really enjoyed it uh i didn't I hate it it, it just bummed me out the clip the clip is up and is pretty good the clip i think unfortunately cuts the entrance which is uh great that was great uh, so, the song so i watched fantastic. it with i watched it with my son lorenzo and i watched it with a non-wrestling fan who was immediately captivated by it Oh, um, so well, wait, who's a non-wrestling fan? Uh, a friend of ours. We, okay. we stayed with up in the Bay area. Okay. But so we, we watched it and I love the interdimensional portal door. I love that. That's a love great that entrance. Love yeah. the new theme. Bray makes it to the ring. And I think he was acting. I don't think that was legit. I think this is a ruse. I think that this is a puppet master deal where he is toying with the audience and playing oh. with emotions because it, it wouldn't make sense otherwise that he's got this whole Machiavellian machine with all these videos and all these promos and all these QR okay. codes. There's so, there's so much behind this being a ruse, but a wonderful acting job by Wyndham Rotunda who probably could invoke a lot of emotion on a personal level. No, he is level. a great performer. As I've said before, I only got to, I directed him once but it was the most fun I've ever had directing anybody. And he was, I would probably say the best performer I've seen in terms of just a guy. That's not his main job. His job is to be a professional wrestler. He is amazing. He's an amazing performer that makes things better second to second in everything he does. If I were to guess in the storyline, I would be guessing that he is going to publicly fight with the darkness. He's going to fight with his dark characters. He's going to continue to try to seem earnest and honest and sweet. And he's not fighting at all. Eventually <sighs> we're going to find out that he is the darkness. He is the danger that knocks on the door. That's, that's where I believe this is going. And I'm okay, really looking like forward it. to it. Now yep, I like I, it. That's that Tom. You should just follow me around all day. And whenever <laughs> I don't like something and, and then you'll just be like, John, but who do you put the fiend up against? That's over enough. So that he can, because you're, he's going to turn heel, right? He's going to have to turn heel at some point. So who's the baby face in the program? 
Or is it too question. soon? No. I mean, they're, they're still speculating on, on possible uh, family members. I don't know whether they're going to be the individual puppets. I, I'm 50-50 on that. I'm not sure if they're going to be physical manifestations of the puppets. Um, but we'll see. I, look, I don't know exactly where it's going, but if it's going in the direction that I feel it's going, I'm looking very forward to it. It's one of the few things on WWE TV that I'm truly looking forward to. Fighting the darkness sounds like Vince fighting God. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but but that's what that's. But but I feel but like he's not fighting the darkness. He is the darkness. That's the he thing. is the fight is is that is the work. So Bray's basically doing the higher power, but it's acknowledged as a, the long term story that he's going to reveal himself as you all right. fell for this. Is this still the movie? The identity. This also a storyline. <laughs> Boy, I will tell you that if they sneak a John Cusack line into that reveal promo, I'm going to pop and I'm going to just be like, because we know we've looked at our analytics. There have been a couple things, and I don't want to call it out, but we've noticed some things that we've been like, hey, wait a second. That's sort of, we, you know, so thank you for listening to everybody. But I like it now that you say that. But we maybe we Nathan have, Fielder is really a secret consultant <laughs> for WWE because he would write that. That I like it. But well, let's, the, the uh, question a, is, will you like the, the next segment? Because I'm like bursting at the seams to okay, talk about. So we have a guest coming up. So we have a couple more things to get to. Uh, Orange Cassidy over at AEW. Tom, take it away before you blow up. The All-Atlantic champion, Orange Cassidy. So we got our rematch with Orange Cassidy and the like Bastard he goes Pac. To California, he's not the champion. It's their Intercontinental Championship, basically. It's a secondary title, but one of the more important ones. Okay. Uh, just up front, there was a quick little heel trick by production that totally. So Pac, as I've said before, is kind of a tweener. He is uh, a heel, but not a full heel. And his match with Orange Cassidy was a turn towards being a full heel, where he cheated to win. He bonked him in the head with the timekeeper's hammer to win the match, knocked him out and took him off TV for a week, which I was very upset about a nice heel trick by production. Orange Cassidy comes out to the big pop. They interrupted his theme Jane by Jefferson Starship with Pac's awful theme. <laughs> and it got tremendous heat to totally cool the crowd reaction to orange and made people upset right off the bat. Uh, Excalibur uh, on commentary at AEW always does a great job. He brought up that Revolution 2020 was the beginning of the Pac-Orange Cassidy rivalry, and he did a great job of selling the match on commentary, using the history between the performers. Uh, more great storytelling in the ring. Cassidy came out striking hard, really stiff forearms. It wasn't his typical fun self. Um, and then Cassidy, uh, when he was prone, in a prone position, Pac mocked his uh, slacker kicks. Uh, there was also a cool thing where the referee repeatedly reminded Pac that he knew he was trying to grab his new equalizer, the timekeeper's hammer, because it was the same referee that refed their first match. Oh, and that's so that, interesting. That was a nice detail. You know, Julie, uh, that's good storytelling. Like that's, uh, you know, did you ever pitch a ref? I pitched a ref idea after the hell in the cell and... A certain someone who was kind of hard and mean to all of us, not Paul Heyman, but someone that worked with Paul Heyman, who was then mean to Paul Heyman, uh, I just, just chewed me out for it. And then, you know, who pitched the same? Because I, I was like, we were trying to figure out that Hell in a Cell finish from Seth and Bray. It was just a, it was the one where Vince went, well, I'm fucked. <laughs> and just walked out of the building and left <laughs> us to, and then Bruce had to come in. And it was so funny because Bruce was just at the office in his jeans 
and like a plaid shirt. Like he wasn't even like he was clearly out running errands. And then they were just like come into the office and cause USA was on the phone. Like what the hell are you doing? And um, so it was this long, crazy day. And I said, why don't you go to Rod, Rod Zapata and just be like, pin it like it's a referee. You can get him in and out of this in a week and a half. And it was like, I got such a mean email back. It was just like, why it was a dumb idea. And I was like, okay, do you know who pitched that same idea? Not an hour later, Michael Hayes. (laughs) And then they considered it, but by then it was too late to coordinate everything. So I like the referee storyline. You know, what's interesting. Historically been very successful. I'm just saying. Yeah. When I was at AEW, the show, uh, they their refs have personalities and the fans know all of the refs name and what i found super interesting is i think her name's aubrey one of the the, aubrey edwards great video game designer too she is talking to the crowd and in between breaks like hyping them up and really kind of being a heel to yeah. the crowd mocking their signs and I think I she was, and her by the way I think she and her are uh, uh, significant other just had their 18th anniversary so oh happy my anniversary God. I think That's I just amazing. saw that. she, yeah. she is super fun and she was a part of AEW uh, for the mental health awareness month she was part of the vignettes and uh, so she would talked openly I think she has bipolar disorder and she takes medication for it and she had one of the longer uh, vignettes, and it was really well done. AEW did a great job. I think it was Eddie Kingston and uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Aubrey Edwards all did a fantastic job of really bringing it down to a human level and letting the audience know, you know, that it's good. I mean, when you see a guy like Powerhouse Hobbs telling you that it's okay to be depressed and you need to, you know, if you need help to get it, that's it carries weight. And Aubrey Edwards, she really broke it down as far as okay, this is my daily routine. This is what I have to do to get through. And it, it doesn't, didn't sound easy, but she's clearly one of the best refs in the business. And I love, I love the AEW refs do all have personalities. One of them, Knox, was the referee that I saw at the, uh, the Lucha, the, the, uh, the Lucha show that I saw for the Lucha Bros in uh, Pasadena. And he, instead of doing a ref bump, he actually gave two wrestlers stunners. Uh, so he did the opposite of wrestle, uh, of a uh, ref bump. There is one ref who everyone speaks so highly of at WWE. And I got to work with him a couple of times for the 24 seven championship because he was consistently paired with our truth was uh, John Cone, who yep. I loved. He always brought personality to the ref position. He was yeah. consistently someone that they would interview backstage for digital exclusives. He was so willing to, to help get a story over, help yep. provide details. Stuff that I, I Vince would cut, he would still do. He, it, he would remember it even though it wasn't in the final draft and he would still do it because he was like, it's, it's funny. What's the big yeah. deal? And, yeah. so and then it would get in John and Vince would be like, God damn it. But it was like, and then he'd be like, well, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. yeah. I think refs deserve to have a little personality too. I, I, it definitely yep. added something at AEW that I feel like is missing at WWE that I know is inherent in the organization of WWE because of John Cone. I saw glimmers of there needs to be more of this because of John yep. Cone. Hey, well, in the NBA, and the referee people, wasn't done yet. Yeah. in the uh, NBA people know the referees. Sorry, Tom. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes in the NBA, they know the referees because the referees had to go to jail for cheating. <laughs> but uh, so at any rate, or for gambling, well, I'm sorry. Shade they went away points. for a while. Yeah. At any rate. So towards the end of the match, and by the way, a great back and forth match. And Pac 
one thing I love about these guys is they know what gets a pop in their previous matches and call back to it. And so Pac did this thing in the last match where he took a DDT and just bent his body like twisted metal in a car wreck and everyone loved it. So he did it twice and each time more, more intense than the last for DDTs in this match with Orange. So Pac had an opportunity to roll outside the ring and snag the hammer from the timekeeper, but was thwarted by a Danhausen in Disguisehausen. Ah, so, so good. So many Dan Danhausen in a black hoodie and a mask. Uh, and another, unveiled himself. And another one. To st- another mask and another yeah. mustache. And one more. And it was like what Robert a great Stack comic and, moment. It was like yep. Robert Stack in Airplane when he takes off the sunglasses and he's still wearing the sunglasses. Like, it was well, fantastic. And also, AEW gets kind of... Occasionally, people bring up the production values. Great production values on this because that... And, and great job by Danhausen to get the mask and hood off correctly and quickly and the shot got timing. in there and the crowd popped big and then... <laughs> He gets brained by Pac with the hammer. <laughs> but then like standing the behind Dan him Housen, is the referee can do that. who knows what's up. The referee wisely separates Pac from the hammer before Pac then sneaks a second hammer into the ring from underneath the apron. And as he rolls into the ring, eats two orange punches for the pinfall win. Orange Cassidy gets his first gold in AEW. And I got to tell you guys, and, and celebrates with the best friends at the end, I've been having a rough go personally. It's been a very, very tough time. And there is just something about watching your favorite wrestler. And right now, Orange Cassidy is my favorite male wrestler. The hopefully soon returning Becky Lynch is my favorite female wrestler. When they win championship gold, not only when you don't expect it, but when they're a wrestler like Orange Cassidy, where Orange is not supposed to win win gold he's a guy who's supposed to put on great matches and be fun and but he's a guy that i've always pushed for for championships and just never thought it would happen and there it was and there's a shower of orange confetti it was a wonderful moment and i was so happy to watch it 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 really made my night and my my son and i both popped for the orange cassidy celebration uh which by the way so um the injured chris statlander who's also part of the best friends uh, she entered the ring after TV ended, but uh, I wish they had caught her in there because it was all of them celebrating. And of course, Dan Housen holding his head, <laughs> selling the injury. Just Dan beautiful. Housen's just like, I mean, Julie. You should have put like we, peas, you know, like frozen peas on his Julie, head. You, you, and, I, you and I both know because we've been part of some bad comedy shoots and uh, it, most comedy shoots, pre-shoots are bad. They look oh, good yeah. on TV, but it's generally not good in the moment. And Dan Housen live on the fly, the fact that he's able to do all that, like just that the removal of the disguise and not fl- not dropping anything and not messing up. It just it was like the timing is impeccable and the showmanship is it's just like, I don't know, man. I just think some comedy people. And I know they're fans in it, but like it would behoove some comedy people to study AEW's Dan Housen, I think, because in that, do all that in that one match, take is just really impressive. In that match, everyone stuck the landing. I mean, from the referee to Dan Housen to both performers, it just it was picture perfect. I highly recommend it's a, it's not that long a match. It's about 10 to 12 minutes and it is it's just pure action and fun and orange cassidy is our new all atlantic AEW champion. So hey, speaking of uh, 10 to 12 minutes, uh let's talk real quickly about the length uh of Bobby Fish's uh 
impact run here. I just saw that. Did you see his promo the other day, Julie? Did no, you see the, I, I don't. Oh, All I know is this. he's Tommy, telling people we need to go to WWE. But, but did he, you see his promo well, where he just, just where, to break down the history of Bobby Fish? For those who don't know, he was a former member of the um, of the Undisputed Era in NXT with Adam Cole and Kyle O'Reilly. And then when they were released, they went to AEW as the Undisputed Era. And, um, or I'm sorry, as, uh, as uh, the Undisputed Elite. And Bobby Fish has kind of popped off at the mouth about a number of things. I don't want to get into it, but he is, he is definitely a guy who holds some interesting opinions. Uh, but he went to Impact. Politically? And, uh, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I don't want to get it. I don't want to get into it because it's gross. But at any rate, he went to Impact and has made the wrong kind of impact in that. <laughs> so he was he after the uh, the punk. Right. But so part of it is self-inflicted because he had a pretty good rep as far as a worker. People enjoy his work. I don't. I find him incredibly boring, but he's he's a competent wrestler. But what happened was after the punk and elite fight backstage he then chimed not involved at all he then chimed in and wanted to shoot fight cm punk just was to he try at to aew at this time or wasn't with anybody i believe he had already been released got it but he so at that so he started making all this noise about i want to really fight punk and people are just and it was just clearly this opportunistic moment where it's like because he is a legitimate martial artist and boxer and fancies himself a tough guy. But again, it's a fight. You're threatening someone who is injured and can't fight and isn't going to fight you anyway. So it's, so it's just one of those empty, stupid statements. But I don't think he figured that wrestling fans kind of like CM Punk. He goes to Impact and he is treated to the most deafening of silences I think I've ever seen on screen. So, oh, not even booze. No, Julie, you got to go check this out. And anyone okay. listening, like, it's one of those things where, um, so CM Punk used the line, stop me when I'm telling lies, right? Was that the line? Or stop, yeah, it, stop yeah. me when I'm yeah. lying, right? And it was a great line. It made it me think of Paul line. Heyman. It was beautiful. So then, so then uh, Bobby Fish, who again, sounds like he could either be a Sopranos character or an ornament that goes over your fireplace and sings Take Me to the River, Bobby Fish, uh, professional wrestler, comes out, and I know this feeling, because like as a comedian, you know this feeling. When there's silence, all your material shrinks. Like You could have an hour 15, and if it's not going well, you have 30 minutes. If you're like, everything all of a sudden just leaves your body, like it's never been in your brain, and you remember it like on the drive home, and so he comes out, silence, and you can see everything he had planned leaving. And you remember that scene? Oh, and, and he's cutting he's cutting a promo on Bully Ray, so Bubba Ray Dudley. Which is like, so like you right off the bat, you're put in a position to succeed, and he's not succeeding. And because Bully Ray is, I mean, that's like that's their that's major for impact. So Bobby Fish comes out and he's just getting nothing. And do you remember that scene in Mad Men where uh Don's like having a panic attack in a pitch meeting because he has this like He's trying to think of a breakfast slogan. He's done. I don't know if he did drugs or if he got to have lunch or he drank, but there's something was off with Don Draper and he had a panic attack. That was something that he'd have in the show. And he accidentally uses this uh, intern's line and then they have yep. to hire him. Remember that scene? Uh, that's basically what I, that's I'm not going to give it away. But Bobby Fish 
in searching desperately because I know that look of the bombing comedian. We've I've been that bombing comedian, just basically ripped off the guy he was ripping up, and it's gets you nothing at all. And then there was someone that just kind of yells out, "Yeah, fish." Or something. It was like a Simpsons scene <laughs> where he like does, you know, that cough in the Simpsons where it's like, you know, and and that's why children will have uh, will have no recess tomorrow. And it's just <coughs> like a couple loose coughs. It was that kind of promo. And I was like, this has to be fake. No, it was it was you know what it was? It was the the please clap of wrestling. It was please pop. It was like, blah, 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 blah. Uh, stop you. I'm telling lies. Please pop. And they didn't. No. I mean, if 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 silence could get more silent, like if if silence could shrink down all the way to the quantum realm and hang out with Ant-Man, that is where this silence. We had one went. joke. We had one joke, and I don't want to, I've mentioned it on another podcast, but like we had one joke that bombed really bad when I was running mono at the Tonight Show. And it was so bad that it was it was funny. We all laughed. Like the audience didn't realize it was a joke. And but because there was two seconds of time where I remember myself and the two showrunners at the time looked at each other because we were all like, did we all just have a stroke at the same time? Because we it just the world just stopped. There was no noise. No one was making sound in this room of over 200 people. And it was you could hear the squeak of the shoes as Jimmy went to the day. It was just and we were, it was a joke. We thought like it murdered in rehearsal. And it was like, that's what Bobby Fish's promo felt like, where it was just like, oh, wow. Well, how do you come back from that? And then there's already people are like, maybe he doesn't. Because <laughs> no, the, the worst and, part and was watching the, Bully the, Ray try to sell, try to keep it going. And it just, you know what it reminded me of? That time that Hulk came out and he was trying to challenge Vince McMahon and then accidentally called himself gay. Do you remember that promo? <laughs> yes. On SmackDown. <laughs> and then Vince doesn't break. Vince keeps because he's for continuity. He's trying. He you know he's trying to keep all. That's what it remind. That's what Bully Ray reminded me of. Where I was just like, you know, on the inside, he's like, what in the hell is going on right now? He looked super pissed. Like I, I think it was part selling and part real anger. But so Impact is really struggling right now. I mean, Impact is the smallest of the American promotions that still has a, somewhat of a TV presence, and they're they're struggling so hard. And they bring in Fish. And Fish gets nothing on his debut because he had a whole big debut and that didn't go over well. I mean, he he killed himself with anyone who even remotely likes CM Punk because I but I you know that an impact wrestling fan is a super diehard and they knew, oh, we're not going to give you cheap heat. We are going to give you absolutely nothing. They did. They looked like they were purposely sitting there with their arms folded. It was something to behold. Where are they? Uh, what What are they on? Axis or whatever? What's the name of the station that Impact is on? I, I think they're in the quantum realm. No, I think it's, yeah, AXS is the, uh, yeah, okay. is the channel. But I mean, to, for, for a promotion that is struggling to try to grab a hold of anything and they grab a hold of Bobby Fish and he is just Here's how I know that. Here's how I know they're in trouble. That's where I did one of my stand-up sets <laughs> on that channel. <laughs> I did better than Bobby Fish by a lot, though. But anyway, check them out over at uh, Axis, AXS, whatever it is nowadays. And then you got AEW. Wednesday nights, 8 o'clock on TBS. Friday nights at 10 o'clock on TNT. They have a special Except time. Except we're, we're actually recording right now, and AEW Dynamite's about to start. 
watch your local listings for dynamite folks, because it's going to be uh, here, there and everywhere for the next several months. And now it's time for our very special guest. Well, this is very exciting. We're always happy to have a guest here on Turnbuckles. And Tommy, this is someone you befriended on Twitter. Unusual. It's unlike most of our Twitter exchanges. But this was a friendly one. That is correct. We are going to get into that. Uh, but I'm going to introduce our special guest from the great white north of Kelowna, Canada, British Columbia, a writer and columnist for several wrestling news sources, the co-host of Through the Years, a retrospective on the history of Ring of Honor, and through the years is spelled T-H-R-O-H, as it should be, and a prolific and profound tweeter of all things pro wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Turnbuckles, Trevor Dame. Hey, Hi, Trevor. everybody. This yes. is exciting. Trevor, you're one of, the, one of my favorite follows. You're not quite Danhausen, but, <laughs> but, but, but Trev Hausen is very funny with his tweets. So, um, so thank you for joining us. This is uh, so fun. Tom, how'd you come across Trevor? So why don't we lead off with that? Because so Trevor's handle on Twitter, and he is one of the best follows in wrestling, yep. is at Trevor Dame, T-R-E-V-O-R-D-A-M-E. And so because I get constant, uh, if you like this account, you'll like this account, Trevor kind of fell in that way. And I noticed that Trevor's tweets, in addition to being very insightful and very funny, I noticed that there was a through line that... I'm not used to in wrestling Twitter where when Trevor answers questions, even when they're abusive, I've never seen anyone handle abusive questions with more grace and humanity and humility than Trevor. And I was like, I have a hard stance on like, okay, if someone's abusive, they get one chance and I'm, and you know, I I'm cute. And then after that, it's a block. I just, I don't have the time. Trevor is consistently not only really good at the initial tweets, but then answering tweets and answering with more va valuable information and also this, this general sense of humanity that I'm just not used to in the wrestling sphere. In other words, Trevor, why do you like wrestling? What are you doing here? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder that like, all the time. You're, you're too, as, I'll tell you, it's too nice for the business, as someone would say. But like, but, 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 how, but I mean, how do you do it? That's just a good thing to know in general in this, in this, I mean, toxic social media world. Um, how do you keep your cool on Twitter? What's your secret? Honestly, I feel like nothing on Twitter is worse than like the psychic damage me and my friends inflicted upon each other as teenagers. So it's like, Oh, like <laughs> none of these people, like, I feel like no one can really hurt you unless they truly know you. So, um, that's a good point. Like, I feel like as a teenager, me and my friends that were just talking online about wrestling were much more brutal about each other and knew much more about each other's personal lives. And so at this point it's like, Oh, you don't like an opinion of mine. Like at least you're not like referencing my extensive history of like, love life failures like no, like nothing's gonna touch you at, this, at that point so you just need a good you need a good kind of roster in your head of past prior traumatizing experiences and then all of a sudden twitter does not seem as bad in hind in comparison interesting well trevor when did you start out what was your rookie year as a fan of pro of pro professional wrestling we're now allowed to call it <laughs> um i think i probably got into wrestling 
around 1993, 1994, when I was just a little kid, I'm in my late thirties now to date myself, but uh, yeah, okay. I moved to this little town called Port Alberni way out on Vancouver Island. And there was nothing to do there, but bowl and go to the video store. And so every week I would rent WWF tapes and I would that watch, sounds, you know, by the way, they're, they're laughing and, but you know why it's cause that to me sounds like the most amazing place to possibly ever live. <laughs> like, oh my God, you have a bowling alley and a video store. What else do you goddamn need? I mean, that's just, <laughs> just, that's just perfect. Well, now like, Trevor, were these the old WWF Coliseum videotapes? Yes. Oh yeah. Those were great. And, uh, it's amazing. Like with my town, they only rented WWF. Like it's amazing how, when you in that era, like nowadays people are only limited in their choice of wrestling by, um, you know, what, what, what they really want. You have everything at your fingertips back then. I was only a WWF fan because my parents were not going to spring for the extra, like $7 to get TBS. Oh, wow. And my video stores did not carry WCW cassette tapes, except for, for some reason, eventually one ordered beach blast 92 and <laughs> never another WCW tape. So I watched that show like 12 <laughs> times, nothing else from WCW for years, but yeah, so, but they had like every single Coliseum video WF and every time a new show came out, they would like buy it the day it came out. But and so it's crazy, like I would buy the wrestling magazines just so I could be like, who is this crazy guy named Cactus Jack? Like I would yes. have nightmares yes. about him based yeah, just on too. reading him in the magazines, you know. And so, isn't yeah, it, when I that, finally we that... got to the point in the late 90s where we could watch like more than just WWF, you, you know, know, it's that's so, it's really so interesting. Reading. It's so interesting you bring up Cactus Jack, a.k.a. Mick Foley. I, th I think everyone listening probably knows that. And um, th it's so funny because that you said that name because that's exactly who I was thinking of because he's this guy who I'm, I'm from New Hampshire originally, and that's, that's my, where, I, where I host my, my daily show that I, I work uh, every morning. Um, but uh, it's just so interesting that this man that I now know as someone who goes to Santa's Village near where I grew up, every summer and spends a week there with his family and he's posting pictures in tie dye shirts. And we all know him as the Santa's village guy. He used to scare the, the ever living daylights out of me in these magazines. Can you describe some of the photos and things we'd see about cactus Jack in, in the wrestling magazines? I mean, there was like, obviously just the blood. So, and the funny thing is those wrestling magazines, they were mostly black and white just on the cheap, like paper stock. And occasionally you were lucky you would get like a couple glossy picture pages in the middle in full color. So a lot of those pictures were in black and white, but it would still be terrifying just to see like the classic picture from the, I think like the 1995 turn of the death matches in Japan, where his arm, he um, gets thrown onto an explosive. And, you know, he talks about this in his first book, how, you know, the skin is just all burning off. And when he comes <sighs> home, he hugs his wife and his wife is like, do you smell something burning? He goes, it's, it's me. Yeah, that's what you're smelling is me. <laughs> and they, they would show pictures of like the burn even, and even in black and white to a little kid, just reading about it and not even really getting a great look at it. You were like, this guy, this is like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the wrestling, like it, it was so frightening as a little kid. And then, yeah, like years later for him to be, to realize that like, this same guy, while he was doing all these things that was, you know, scaring the pants off little kids, was probably thinking up of those ideas while, while like listening to Tori Amos in his car on long road trips. Like, <laughs> yeah, for it's sure. just such a crazy thing.
that was a big deal back then. So I'm I'm a little bit older. I am 48. So I kind of started watching wrestling during the Hulkamania boom. I started watching it with my grandfather right at the right right as he beat the Sheik, like right when Hulkamania left the AWA and Hollywood to come to New York. So back then it was uh, it was Pro Wrestling Illustrated. So they were an almost exclusively black and white production with a color cover. And if it wasn't for PWI. I wouldn't have known who the Von Erichs were. I wouldn't have known who Ric Flair was or Dusty Rhodes until they showed up in WWE years later. Uh, I wouldn't have known about any of those. And then also, we were talking about Coliseum video earlier, uh, a match I still to this day have never seen, but legend has it, it was on one of those Coliseum tapes, was one of my all-time favorites, Ravishing Rick Rude versus Hulk Hogan. The one oh. and only match that was caught on camera was on one of those tapes. Trevor, oh. did you ever see that one? Did that ever come across your path? Yeah, probably. I mean, I have watched pretty much all those Coliseum videos. All, most of them, it's been a very long time. But, I mean, again, I had nothing to do but to rent and re-rent the same, like, 40 cassette tapes for a few years. <laughs> what was your favorite one? Because I had, I had a couple go-tos, but I'm curious what your favorite videos to rent were for Coliseum. Well, here's the dumb kid logic. The one I probably rented the most, sadly, is like one of the worst you could rent, which was um, WrestleMania 4. And it, like, it's the worst WrestleMania. It's not a, a particularly good show at all. But the thought was it was two cassette tapes like tied together and they only charged you for one. So I was like, I have to keep watching this. <laughs> this is incredible value, even though it's boring me. And it, it was the original <laughs> night one and night two of WrestleMania. Yeah, I mean, as my friend uh, Justin Shapiro says, it's double wide and double deep, like a casket for Yokozuna. And <laughs> That's actually what it says on the thing, which was weird because Yokozuna wasn't even in there yet. But they yeah, somehow they say, we're going to create a character called Yokozuna and we're going to use this to describe him and the videos. But it does sound like Vince logic that it would just be like, why did you get the worst one? Because there's two of them. <laughs> but um i mean my favorite show was probably wrestlemania 10 because growing up as a kid i was legally obligated to be a huge bret hart fan but apart from that i forget which coliseum video but the coliseum videos that were not the official pay-per-views but were just the uh the the, the collection of un, non-pay-per-view match that they had taped just for coliseum video they would usually have um like little interstitial like skits or or segments and I forget which show tape it was, but the one my dad hated pro wrestling. But the one thing it's one of the few times I've ever seen him like laugh this hard was there was one tape where they kept having these segments of Kamala learns how to ball, which again, bringing it all back together. And it was the dumbest skits. But to my dad, this was the apex of comedy was was Kamala was people attempting to teach Kamala how to bowl. Oh, just I don't, you just need to say that to me. And it's the funniest thing <laughs> I've I've heard. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think like, uh, yeah, those vine anything with Bobby Heenan just getting just getting mad and interrupting somebody over and over. That's all my dad needed because his logic was he thought Bobby Heenan spoke for people like him. He was like, <laughs> he's just pointing yeah. out how stupid it is. And I agree with him. So that was like early punditry for my dad. But I got to ask you, since you brought up Bret Hart. So, little incident, we're coming up on Thanksgiving, uh, I believe it was uh, 1997, if I'm correct, Montreal, things went uh, awry, or so we think, that's still, <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people that's like Scott Hall, it's like, mm, when it comes to that, but 
Someone from Canada, what was the reaction like in Canada when the Montreal screw job went down? Did people just lose it? Was it insane? Yeah, because also it I mean, it wasn't like a national thing, but I mean I feel like as a kid, Bret Hart was a big deal to a lot of us because when you're a kid in Canada, you you live in a weird situation where like 75, 80% of your media that you consume is from America. And so you're constantly kind of feeling inferior to America. Like you're only focused on the 20% of America you can't get. Like for me, it would be WCW or MTV. You know, we had much music, which was our Canadian version of MTV. And you focus on all these things that aren't as good as American versions. At least I grew up on Degrassi. I don't know. I've, I felt the opposite. I felt like Canada was encroaching on my childhood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, I, I was watching, say I was a traitor to my country. I was watching Save by the bell while you were watching Degrassi. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> but, but Bret Hart was, but like a lot of times in Canada, we would get like, you're supposed to like this because it's not the best. It's the best Canadian version of this. Like I remember as a kid, they told us one day, Oh, like we're coming out with like superhero commemorative stamps. And I was like, Oh yeah, America's got those like Superman, Batman. And then we got, it was captain Canuck. And I thought who is captain Canuck? (laughs) Is that a real thing? Captain Canuck? That is amazing. It's one of those things. Again, as a Canadian, you're supposed to be like, Oh, we're really proud of this. I've never seen a Captain Canuck thing ever apart from a commemorative stamp. But the point is, Julie, that's got to be back me up here. Like if you pitch Captain Canuck at one of those, it would be on TV immediately. (laughs) I was going to say it would be in consideration, but you're right. By the time you were there, it might have been on TV immediately. (laughs) Then then Vince would have asked if Brett was still available. Yeah, I I grew up in Minnesota. So this sounds all correct to me <laughs> captain well tell me about captain canuck what did captain canuck do was he like captain america but in canada Pro, i mean here here's what he did he was canadian and he wore red and white like that that's what so many Canadian things come down to is like i remember as a kid growing up we once had a book in the library and i didn't ever check it out but i would peruse it and it literally was an entire book just about like what is what does it mean to be canadian like it's a book we had to ponder because there's no real like defining features to us. And so, <laughs> Oh man, that's so sad. With, they have with to Brett tell Hart, you what cool. stereotypes to sign up for. Basically. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, you know, we would thankful act. for more of those. We, we would have, we would long to have to be defined in any way, but um, wow. seeing Sammy Zayn come out to the Canadian crowd was kind of the coolest thing. Yeah. It is neat to how like you get like the, like you get the hometown pop, anywhere in Canada like you, you can do. be from the east and you come to like the west coast and it will still be like oh you're this is you're the hometown guy where I feel bad for Americans in that one sense where you know like I remember one time like John Moxley you know did a show somewhere I mean somewhere in Ohio and he's from Cincinnati but wasn't Cincinnati and I said oh this is like a big hometown reaction that all these people would be like it's not as hometown and it, like they're outrageous you know that's like a a four hour drive away. And it's like in Canada, if it's like a three day drive away, that's your hometown, you know, that, you know, it's 30 something million people where I feel like in America, they, they cut things up so tightly in that sense. Um, so I have to ask you, since you were first getting into WWE, it was right before that famous 97 angle where it was us versus Canada. 
And was that like being on the Canadian side of things? Did, did, did you side with Canada or did you kind of see through it and say, I know who baby faces are. I know who heels are. That was like a Sophie's choice for me because I was like, I love Bret Hart, but I also like American television. I don't like, I don't, don't like Bret Hart columnist. Don't make me choose Bret. Like I, I was just thinking about like, you know, I still want to watch must see TV on Thursday nights, bro. You can't make me hate this too much. And, uh, <laughs> Oh, I thought you thought it was like on the line or something. Like, <laughs> yeah, tonight, I thought, like whoever loses is, doesn't get Seinfeld anymore. <laughs> if Brett, you know, if Brett wins this match, the board gets shut down and like they come <laughs> off NBC. Wow. And, uh, but yeah, like that's around the time we start realizing wrestling is fake, obviously. And I think more of the reaction with the whole Montreal thing was it was sadness. But it was also this feeling of not just sadness because he got screwed, but because Canada in general was more of a WWF country, especially because a lot of us were like me. It didn't have great access. Like, for example, even like in the late 90s, we would get Nitro, but we would not get Nitro live. It'd be like hours later, sometimes the next day later. And if it was three hours, they would edit it down to two where we always got raw live. So like Brett going to WCW for a lot of Canadians was like, a friend moving three towns over. Like you can still see him, but it's going to be a pain in the ass now. It's not going to be as as fun to see him now. Yeah. And I was going to ask you that too. I mean, like that's such an interesting thing is that do you feel that that was a big miss by WCW? Because now that you mention it, I can't recall a ton of epic WCW shows really happening. I mean, never mind the Northeast and the U S but also do they really do much of anything in Canada? Was that, no, like, no, I mean, they did, there was that one famous show, show Nitro in Toronto, where they did the storyline where, uh, you know, Br- Brett comes in a Toronto Maple Leafs jersey, cuts a promo that gets everyone, you know, raving for him in Canada. And then Goldberg comes out, Goldberg spears him, but immediately Goldberg doesn't get up. You don't go, you go, what the heck happened? And then you see Brett eventually get to his feet, lift up the jersey. And he basically did Marty McFly from Back to the Future 3, where he has like the giant plate taped under his midsection to reveal yeah, that the he chest knew, plate. Yeah, I remember that Goldberg was going to spear him. He was going to knock himself unconscious and that show, like people remember that that got a huge reaction, but yeah, they did not. But again, I think part of it too was just, they did not think to travel to Canada as much because they did not have tr- the tradition, you know, and as much penetration as WWF did. I mean, before Vince, I mean, Toronto was a major market for the WWF dating back decades so they had like a strong root here well they did try they did try north korea so we got to give them credit for that julie julie's making a face. that's real yeah dark side of the ring did yeah. a whole episode about that i you know what's funny is like we were joking about that tom and i tommy and i were joking about that a couple of years ago just like all the crazy places like you could you know because of saudi arabia and everything and we joked about it what would it be in north korea and then i forgot oh that was a real thing wcw <laughs> went to north korea how was it put together? Was it New Japan or was it they were working with somebody, right? Tommy and Trevor. I forget who it was. I believe so. It, I mean, it, it went as predictably poorly as Julie's face has shown. Uh, it went <laughs> it went that badly. Uh, they I mean, the thing about WCW was when they were really getting the wheels in motion for international travel, they were already on the downslide. They were yeah. already starting to fail as a company because they I think they did a show in the UK. I think I, they had a few international shows, but at that point they were already bleeding money. And then, you know, to quit, to, to stop the bleeding, they started to 
go back to the States. And then it was just too late. I mean, they all their mistakes were compounded so early on that it was a real steep decline. I mean, it was just in the course of a year, they went well, from a company that looked like they could tour the world to out of business. Well, to illustrate like how, and this is the, this is a classic example of the luck I have had in my life where, uh, WCW did do a nitro in my hometown of Kelowna once. And it was during like the downswing, the Vince Russo era. And, uh, I was so excited because I was like, oh, I finally get to see them live. And I begged my parents, you know, months earlier, you know, buy me a ticket. And they were like, okay, it'll be your birthday present. And in return, you have to go with us to a Dwight Yoakam concert the week before, <laughs> which I was like, this is a heavy price, but anything to see WCW. <laughs> Wait and a so, minute. So you, so, so there's, <laughs> Wow. So it was like a talent trade. In other words, that's very interesting. <laughs> and that's- it was a horrible trade because I go, to, we go to this nitro. My parents are complaining the whole time. And the main event of this nitro, I kid you not, was not a match. It was Kevin Nash interviewing a cardboard cutout of Scott Hall in the middle of the ring. That oh, was the man. main event of the show. Oh my God. I, remember- I don't think I've ever seen that. Was that, like two, was that like 2000 maybe was that like around uh, yeah, then or yeah it was right after i think like the new blood rising pay-per-view or yeah, something to that effect like, yeah okay it that's was, why yeah and i remember the, my other memory of that was i remember my family had a history of like parents constantly were like obsessed with beating the traffic so we we're like running out of there the second it's over and we're like mom dad like we can't like we're leaving so early like look everyone's still sticking around this is crazy Booker T was already at his car. It was like the only people in the parking lot were us and Booker T. Like Booker <laughs> T could not get out of the building fast enough. And I was wow. like, wow. <laughs> That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I just thinking about Booker doing that. I'm the I'm I'm the save time, save time, save time, leave the arena guy. Booker T. Booker is a big spoon. Sp- out of the sp- arena. Yeah, did his car do a spin a Rooney as he left? <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to I want to get to your like your you're very prolific as Tom mentioned on Twitter. And how did that come to be? Like when did when did you feel you like you were blowing up on social media in the internet wrestling community? Uh God. I mean, I just You tweet. have to say you have to say it like that. Our friend Ke- Kevin Callum at Sports Key, you have to say internet wrestling community. I mean, I just write uh, really dumb things. And, you know, eventually, like, usually I find with Twitter, you kind of reach popularity when, like, you just get one person that has to be notable to like you. And eventually they will retweet something you say and you'll pick up a, a whole ton of new followers. Like, I remember when I was starting, I think probably, like, the first people of any real popularity that, like, were retweeting me would be, like, if Matthew from the, the botchamania guy ever oh, retweets yeah. I mean, like my phone was just useless for a day. Like it would just be, I'd have to try off notifications because it'd be ringing all the time. And if, uh, that was at the same time where if I got like 15 notifications in a day, that would be big, but you know, and so once you get like a couple people that do that for you, like a couple times, you, it really starts to snowball. So it's not so much that you have to like impress thousands of people. You just have to impress like, one person that already impresses thousands of people. And it kind of does, it does all the work itself. Well, it doesn't hurt to have a different voice too. I think we're very used to, because our podcast, as you can tell, is not your typical wrestling podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm a stand-up comedian who's a lifelong wrestling fan. My two coworkers are both former WWE writers who also wrote for the tonight show 
at NBC. So we're not your typical sounding wrestling podcast. And as far as what I look for when I'm looking for wrestling news, I'm looking for a perspective that is not, you know what I would have done? I would have done that. That kind of perspective turns me off so much. And it's like 99% of the wrestling manosphere. So when I see your tweets, you're Literally always bringing something. Yeah, <laughs> I did that. I specifically said manosphere for that very Thank reason. You. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thank you. Well, and there's, there's a totally underserved community, by the way, is the female wrestling fans who have almost nothing because they, I mean, there are, there are wrestling podcasts that will talk for four hours and not mention a women's match once, or if they do, it's gross. But Trevor, Tom, uh, Tom, one thing I wanted of, to get, uh, you're thinking of, those are actually WWE production meetings. Ah, yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, things and th- uh, th- AEW calendar years. Times change. No, I'm pal. just kidding. Yeah. But one <laughs> thing both, I wanted to times bring are up are changing. So, yes, they are. Th- the three co-hosts on this show, we all have pretty hardened opinions as far as, and, and we're all kind of, I think, in lockstep as far as how we feel about the punk elite AEW situation. Uh, I, I, I think we're kind of all simpatico in that we believe that with nothing to report, there is no news. With no police report, there really is no news. And the silence is likely a legal situation, but... I know, I know that you've had a more nuanced take than most people. Most people are either taking sides or they have a, a, an, a, an absolute opinion that that's the only thing it could be. And I, mean, I don't think we really know. And I, I wanted to get your take on that because that, that was a really, really hot story involving one of ROH's biggest names. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I do think it has to be a legal thing because... I mean, the reporting you're seeing, it seems like every week now, I mean, like Dave Meltzer and people like that are saying, and, you know, he would know because he he is talks to all of those guys and some of them, you know, pretty obviously. But, you know, he he will say like in the last few weeks, every week, pretty much like I talked to all those guys. They all I mean, without with the exception of Punk, who's hit hurt and can't come back right now, if he ever could. But like they want to come back. They don't know what their contract status is. I mean, they're getting, and the, the word that came out last week was they're all getting paid still too. Like Tony Khan's paying them their money. He's not telling them what's happening to, and you know, you know, it's wrestling. They could even be lying about that. They could all be back this week. You know, Adam page last week for the first time on TV. I think that was like the first real kind of hint hint mention of his friend. I mean, the Kenny Omega and the young bucks, when he did that promo against John Moxley and said, you know, my friends have disappeared. I mean, I think that was like the first time AEW has even allowed someone like without even naming names to even just allude to the fact that something has happened. So, you know, is that a sign? Who knows? But I mean, I think it has to be a legal situation because why else would you sit this many of your biggest stars? You know, I think Kenny Omega just turned 39. Like the clock is ticking I mean, not that, you know, wrestlers can wrestle late, but in your physical prime, your, your, your clock is ticking. He just came back. Like, people that think this is just an angle, it's like, what angle could possibly be worth the benefit of losing out on months of him, you know, when he had just come back? It, it just doesn't make sense. And that's what I feel like a lot of conspiracies is like, when people think, oh, this is angle, this is angle. I think people need to realize that, like, you look at the history of wrestling, Wrestling companies usually don't have a lot of patience, you know, like there aren't many angles yeah, in history that involve comp- wrestlers sitting out for months and months and months like wrestling companies. They go to things pretty quickly. On the other side of it, though, too, 
just the fact that can we agree there was also some kind of I don't want to say reckless because that seems a little bit heavy, but some kind of uh, overly speculative reporting about CM Punk's definitely getting fired on Tuesday. And oh, that's it. And these guys are that I heard there's going to be a try. Like, didn't it get kind of out of hand the other way, too, with people just saying, I heard he's definitely gone. And the next thing you know, like you said, he's still on the payroll. Yeah, I mean, uh, a few days in, I feel like like probably the Tuesday or Wednesday after that all happened, you had multiple reporters saying like big news coming down today. And that news never really came down. I mean, I guess the biggest news was just that they stripped them of the titles. But even that, that was a very bland, vague announcement and nothing else. So, I mean, either they got fed some wrong things. They made massive assumptions. Although, again, so many of the top reporters were saying basic uh, hinting at the same thing, like big thing is about to happen. And I guess the other speculation could just be maybe they were planning on doing something and then someone threatened a lawsuit. And like. Yeah, that's what Tom, Tommy, that was your idea, right? Yes. Like there was a whole bunch of whispering and rumors starting and then somebody got the memo that, hey, man, you can't really do that. You can't really just make up stuff. There has been a side benefit to Tony Khan in all of this because it seems like it's a debacle and it seems like it's a PR nightmare. But AEW has proven incredibly resilient and the fan base has stayed they have not really lost audience so well, now he can really choose what he wants to do going forward i don't know where he sits as far as the legal situation but however it ends up you know however it pans out i think he's going to be okay because right now they're running without all those stars and basically running the same numbers and i think putting on a good show well i also think part of it part of my this is just complete speculation but you have to think like in a perfect world, he would love to have all of them come back. And oh, like, of course. Th- that would be especially working with each other. I mean, that would be like the ironic thing is that would be the biggest possible matches he could possibly put on right now is if he could get all those guys come back and, you know, punk to work against them. And so part of me wonders if maybe why he's just delaying things so long. It's probably a legal thing, but also probably like, Maybe it's just that thought, if I keep these guys employed, but separate for months and months and months, maybe they calm down enough that we can work this out. But everyone needs a little time yeah. out. Because yeah, my thing I, is, yeah. especially with Punk, what's he like? I know that Punk has money, blah, blah, blah. But he also still clearly has the desire to work and do something. And it's just like, I don't see him going. I mean, you never know, but I don't see him going to WWE. It's probably no. even less likely now that Hunter's in charge than Vince. Probably less likely. Because Vince never spoke ill of Punk. We, I mean, we knew it was off limits, but Punk was, I mean, Vince was all about it. But what's Punk going to do? Like, it's like, go to, I guess, go to New Japan if you want, instead of living your cushy life You're in the great city of Chicago. I just say, call his bluff, wouldn't you? And just say, like, all right, you know, I'm going to keep you under contract, but. Well, I mean, the other thing is, I, you know, I've heard rumors. I, I don't really feel comfortable. I mean, they're kind of out there if you really look, but like that, the amount of money Punk is making from AEW is incredibly large in the wrestling scheme of things like sure and so i could see also like why you would do legal battles is the idea of are you just going to walk away from like if if someone tries to fire you and they said we have cause because of a backstage fight that you threw the first punch like it would definitely be worth his time probably to say you know what Uh, i have a lawyer that says you guys instigated it you know you came to my locker room you brought people there with me I mean, with, you know, I felt threatened, like that's the thing Like people are wondering, like, why is there a loss and stuff? Well, let's say Tony Khan did decide, like, I just want to fire this guy, you know, 
it's hard to walk away from maybe double digit million, like eight figures. So it's a staring cunt there. It might just be the two of them saying who's going to blink. So I save or make some money basically now that is, but you have another interesting opinion that's in the, in WWE that flies in the face of a lot of people. And I saw you tweeting about this and I can't say that I necessarily agree, but I admired the way you took it as Tommy was saying, because it was you immediately got flack. Um, Trevor, you're not the biggest, I don't want to say supporter, but you're, you're not enamored by Bray Wyatt. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Um, I like, I always say this about Bray Wyatt. I think he's a 10 out of 10 on style. He's like a one out of 10 on substance. Like, like you, you watch his promos, like everything about them. Like his look is great. His theme. I mean, it's unique. His, his, his gimmick is great. His theme song is great. Just the way he recites his promos is great. Like the actual content of them. They, they're never really about anything. And likewise, his match is like, he's a decent wrestler, but he's not a particularly special wrestler, but you know, that, that's okay. Like a lot of wrestlers have gotten by with just that ultimate war. And I'm not, I, I would say he's more talented, than the ultimate warrior, but the ultimate warrior was a ton of style and not a ton of substance. But like, I, I don't think I'm crazy to think that, like, I know there's a lot of people that did not like that pain, but also a lot of people that agreed. But like, I made that opinion. One of the reasons I, I said that, although I've said that multiple times, is like Seth Rollins in the last week or two came out with an interview where he said, you know, like everyone that feuded with The Fiend or Bray Wyatt came out less hot than they did coming in. And like, that's something that fans were saying for a long time. Like even people that like Bray Wyatt is like, boy, people that feud with Bray Wyatt seem to like have less steam behind them, like less fan interest after the end of these feuds. And yet Bray Wyatt, the popular always seemed the same. And I feel it's just like Bray Wyatt feuds usually aren't about much. Like they're all just spooky, but kind of generic. The one thing for me where it clicked and I was like, Oh, this is really special. And this is something big was the WrestleMania against him and John Cena. And I was like, this is interesting and weird and different, but I like it. And John, I know you have a story. I teach in my alma mater. I teach uh, uh, writing, uh, screenwriting at Emerson College. And I taught a short film class. And so I was, you know, this was we were trying to be creative and show different ways of doing it. So I showed the Boneyard match and I showed the Firefly Funhouse match because I knew that no one in the class had ever seen either of these things. And my thing going in was I assumed everyone would really like the Boneyard match because it had a story and everyone knew who the Undertaker was and it kind of went all the way through and you didn't need to know the the backstory to to understand it. It was kind of like a it was a wrestling version of the thriller video, really, you know, where it was just kind of like, <laughs> oh, it's a short film. And then I thought Firefly Funhouse, I thought I was like, oh, boy, this is where the bad evals come from. Like, I was like, this is where I'm going to lose some students. And 16 out of 16 students could not care less about the, the Boneyard match. Didn't they were bored. I mean, I saw, I mean, I, I think I almost stopped it, but then I even said to them, do you want me to, they go, no, we want to see how this ends. Cause we've been watching it. And then I showed them the Firefly Funhouse match. And then they, they on their own, like I would say probably half the class. And then it spread. They were like, you know what I did this weekend? I went out there in this rabbit hole, no pun intended of watching Bray Wyatt Firefly Funhouse. That guy's amazing. 
they let him go. And they were like, I was like, what is, what's going on here? And it was just this, that's when I got it that I was like, Oh, I'm millennial. They're Gen Z. They watched Tim Robinson. Whereas I came up with us. This is right up there. And then I said, but you guys don't know anything about, and they said, we didn't need to, we figured it out as it went along. It was like TikTok. We got it. And I was like, wow. So, but I need to ask you though, like, so I get what you're saying in that it is hard because if you go over the fiend or Bray Wyatt, people hate you for that. And if you do the honors, then people don't respect you anymore. Okay. So Bray Wyatt's back in the company. Now he's in WWE. Obviously. I mean, I, you'd have to think for him to come back. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's not all that high. Cause he, he kind of seemed like he wanted to come back, but for a substantial amount and Trevor, what would be your ideas to try to, as far as avoiding those pratfalls creatively, how might you look at uh, setting up programs for Bray and maybe booking him? Well, the interesting thing would right now is like, do you want to try and make him more relatable? Cause I see that as like a double-edged sword because like, even if I'm not personally the hugest Bray Wyatt fan, I can also see that like, there's a quite a few people that love him. So I wouldn't necessarily even tell the company to change him, but yet you see that his comeback promo, you know, that's a promo unlike anything he's ever done where it's very emotional. It's him saying, this is the real me. You've never seen this kind of guy. And it'll be interesting. Like, do they stay with that and try and make him more of a human being? If, because that could also, you know, inconceivably take away some of the things people love about him because the more off the wall stuff, how can you be relatable and like, this is the real person and also doing crazy special effects and the, these really wild things. Like to me, may, people always compare him to Undertaker. What I would say is they never really did with him what people, what the WWE really did with the Undertaker back in like the, his come up during the 90s, which was Undertaker usually was not in the main event, but he was usually like the second main event. And instead of feeling with like the top, the top wrestlers would do their serious wrestling stuff. And Bray would kind of, I mean, Undertaker would kind of always face like the monster of the season. You know, they would yeah. build up someone like Yoko Zuna or King Kong Bundy or Giant Gonzalez and Grant. Some of those were not good, but it was kind of like, he's like your second main event in all these shows. He's like your hero. And we'll just, build up these crazy monsters and in a way maybe that would work better to just like have them go after almost have like build up guys that are just crazy and off the wall you know people on their oh, own right yeah and, like and kind of keep them separate from so guys like seth Rollins that get kind of annoyed and go well man i don't like i don't like his chocolate and my peanut butter well like give him kind of his own world that we're just guys you know are kind of built just for him i think people Fans are so thirsty for WWE to innovate. And so you have this group of fandoms see something like the Fun House and they're like, finally, it's something different that's working, that we love, that you're committing to, that you're staying on top of. And my recommendation is take those strategies and apply them across all of your superstars. Like it, all these showmanship tactics don't have to be reserved just for Bray. How are you taking these marketing strategies? How are you taking these really interesting approaches to a superstar and applying them to your entire roster? Yeah. And just um, letting someone be different than everybody else. Like WWE 
so often I think one of their biggest flaws over the last 20 years is there are very few people that they don't kind of subject to some degree to the kind of like just the formula. And there are very few people that get to stand apart and kind of break the format of the show in any way. And, you know, in wrestling, like different is almost always good. Like even like, again, even if I'm not a huge fan of Bray Wyatt, like if the rest of the show is something I really enjoy, I can handle a segment or two that isn't exactly my, like my 10 out of 10 favorite thing. And you don't want a show that where every segment like appeals to me or every segment appeals to everyone. You want a show where it's like, eh, eight out of the 10 cent segments appeal to me because you want to capture like a broad audience, right? You, you want to appeal to lots of different kinds of people. Trevor, I think I'm kind of a fence sitter in between both my co-hosts and you, as far as opinion on Bray, I despised swamp Bray. I didn't like that (laughs) character at all. I didn't care for anything he did pre fiend. And then the fiend really captured my imagination. I think it's, I'm a big horror movie fan. And so when I saw, Swamp Bray, I immediately thought, okay, they're making a Texas chainsaw family without chainsaws and without murders, so this is dumb. But The Fiend, to me, captured my imagination because there was just so much more to it. There was so much more texture. It was so much more layered. And it was all, it, that was Bray's creation. But what happened was eventually it got meddled with and it, it, they, they refused to make him special for long enough to sustain The Fiend. So I'm very interested to I'm very interested to see what you they're going to do the, going the forward. I like what they're doing so far. The fiend should have borrowed Bret Hart's metal plate to wear around his chest <laughs> at the at Saudi Arabia. A lot a lot could have been fixed right then. But so talking talking about past characters. So your your podcast you talk about vintage ROH. Uh, I wanted to get your feelings both on. Well, let's let's start with the past first. I wanted to talk about ROH performers from the era that you that you talk about on your podcast, the, uh, could you see the potential in like the 2005, 2006 shows for people like punk and, uh, Seth Rollins in particular. So Seth was Tyler black there. Yeah. Okay. I definitely want to know about that. Cause I have seen no Tyler black work and I'm very interested to, t- to hear your take on how he was back then. Uh, Tyler black was seen as a, as a pretty good prospect when he came in probably like 2006, 2007, but I, the funny thing about back then is a lot of us that were watching ring of honor back in like Oh four or five, like we knew guys like punk and Danielson and Samoa Joe were, um, we thought that they were the best wrestlers in the world at that time on that level. But we also didn't think a lot of us that they would ever make it in the WWE because they had a huge like size bias. And if you go back and look at the, if you like look at the reporting back then, and even just the wrestlers themselves, like we've gone back on the podcast and looked at some of the wrestlers live journals from back then. Some of those CM Punk still has an old block in that era. Samoa Joe still does. I mean, there was a time in like 2004, 2005 where like both Danielson and Joe outright would just say things in media interviews or on blogs. Like I, really frustrated like i feel like i'm not going anywhere in wrestling like no one big is really interested in us and so it it was kind of those things where we all recognize the town but we were also like are they going to stick around like at one point brian danielson talked about uh maybe i should go back to school or maybe i should join the peace corps at one point someone joe just wrote this blog he was like like new japan i this is my dream i train wrestlers for them in their u.s jojo and they offered me a deal to come there and it was so financially insulting, I had to say no. Like, and, and you, you know, we thought, well, no one values these guys. 
And it wasn't until, you know, you got a couple guys like Punk and Danielson to break through in WWE where it was like, oh, there actually is a world now where if we think these guys are good, they, they could actually make it. So Tyler Black was kind of like in that sense, he, I think he started, to, he was started to come up in, in the Indies when his fans were starting to become a little more aware that like, okay, maybe a guy that of his talent on the Indies can make it, you know, maybe, maybe the WWE would pick him up one day and, you know, obviously yeah. it turned out. But so Seth is a guy, I think he's more in the Shawn Michaels mold in that he's not huge, but he's also not tiny. I think he's, a, I think yeah. he's about Shawn Michaels size, like six, one and around the 200 pound mark, either a little over a little under, but um, who was a can't miss prospect in ROH back in the heyday that did miss? Who was somebody that everyone thought, oh, they're gonna be huge. And then it just didn't happen. Uh, well, again, I don't know if we, the guy that I bemoan, like he did not get a shot. I mean, he got a shot in WWE, but it wasn't the one he deserved was Paul London. Like Paul yeah. London, the, the year he was in ring of honor. If you just look at the year he had, like, it's not a calendar year, but if you go from like the second half of 2002 and the first half of 2003, I will put that year with anything anyone else in ring of honor has done with Brian Danielson's best year, Samoa Joe, CM Punk's Tyler Black's, you know, whoever's. And he was a guy who clearly loved wrestling. And then you watch interviews with him now. And he was one of those guys that not only did he not really get pushed well in WWE. He's also one of those guys where he came out of WWE feeling like you could tell he just like is thinking like, I don't really, really even love wrestling anymore, which is just mm. such a sad thing. And that was a guy where, again, he, he was as talented as all the guys that made it. And it's not talent that did him wrong. It's just maybe he came by a little too soon because he was one of the, he was like the first guy to get poached from Ring of Honor, like a year in. So, you know, a little too soon probably for him. I think that's a guy, absolutely. And, you know, Samoa Joe, even he did make it. He did have a great career, but man, he could have, if they had got him before he had started, you know, getting a little bit up there with a lot of miles on his body. I mean, man, if they had gotten him instead of TNA and really, I, I think he could have had something like a really special career instead of just the pretty good one he had. Well, Trevor, still going, still going strong. He's, I mean, he, he's obviously limited and he's, he's had several injuries over the years, but he's still, still fun to watch Yeah, uh, in AEW or, or, or ROH, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> uh trevor this has been so much fun will you come back and talk to us again of course if i uh did not disappoint you guys. no this is fantastic i because things are obviously still shaking out and i think a lot more is going to happen and there's been some hints at some big developments coming up in the in in both promotions and other places as well uh so if you want to follow you have to follow trevor dame it's at trevor dame that's trevor o-r and then Dame, D-A-M-E, and you get all his information there. And Trevor, thank you so much for coming on Turnbuckles and talking to us. This was so much fun. Thank you, Trevor. Thank you guys for having me. Well, that's our episode, you guys. Fun time. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please subscribe, review, and give us a nice five-star rating. Hey, let the writers dress like writers. I saw a couple sneakers, though. It was encouraging. And make sure you tick our talk at Turnbuckles Pod, and then go on Instagram at Turnbuckles Pod. And then Twitter at Turnbuckles Pod. And then also look us up on YouTube. Is Vince Russo around anywhere? Nope, not this Good. week, no. All right, let's go. See ya, Buckleheads. 
Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.